A hit and run case takes a shocking turn. This is something that really uh, hits a small community like ours. The arrest of a suspect in the death of a cyclist and the charge that indicates it was intentional. Forgiveness for the accused in a random and allegedly racist bear spray attack. I'm done with the courts and I will never step foot in here again. Even after a long history of offenses, why he won't be going to trial. And another bank draft debacle. I'm not an expert, but it, it looks good. How the intended victim credits Global News for helping him avoid falling for a potential fraud. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. An extremely rare development in a fatal hit and run has a Vancouver Island community reeling. The case involves a cyclist who was killed in the collision. And as Romina Dea reports, the suspect has now been charged with first-degree murder, indicating it was deliberate. A lightning speed investigation from a suspected hit and run to a first-degree murder charge over the course of the weekend. It's uh, quite unusual. 45-year-old Stephen Squires of Cumberland has been charged with first-degree murder and failing to stop after an accident causing death. A cyclist now dead after being struck in Courtney Thursday night. It was dark. The uh, road was in good condition. It was pretty dry. Uh, it was dark, but uh, I think is uh, the vehicle uh, who hit the bicycle with the, the person on it. RCMP confirmed the driver was arrested Saturday. A day later, a charge of first-degree murder was approved. Planning and deliberation to kill someone. It doesn't have to be someone you know. That is the legal test. But what evidence would police need in order to get Crown Counsel to approve a charge so quickly? The evidence may be garnered before the fact by, uh, you, uh, by the murderer speaking to somebody saying... Uh, I really want to kill Mr. A, here's my plan to do so, or by the person writing down their plan and the fact that they've thought about their plan, or in the course of a confession. Global News has been unable to verify information posted on social media and elsewhere regarding a potential motive. Obviously, most of our community is, is uh, going to be pretty... Uh, Pretty, pretty beat up about the fact that, that something like this has happened. We do have the court systems to you know, put people uh, through, make sure that they're being adjudicated properly. I know we have keyboard uh, warriors out there. Um, it's, really, it's really not necessarily that helpful. Squires remains in custody. His next court appearance is scheduled for February 29th in Courtney. Romina Dea, Global News. A terrifying morning in Kelowna after a driver crashed into several vehicles and cyclists. When you look at the mayhem here, it, it is amazing that nobody was killed here. Mangled vehicles, car parts and bicycles strewn across a main Kelowna street, including in front of two schools left behind by a seemingly out-of-control vehicle. No fatalities, but several people were taken to hospital. Their conditions unknown. It happened at about 7 a.m., thankfully before children were heading into the school. Right in front of two large schools are Rutland Middle and Rutland Senior Secondary. Uh, just a little bit of difference in time could have made a, a completely different uh, outcome. I'm just terrified to what I see. I just feel like it's pretty brutal, and it's just right in front of the school. 
The driver of the suspect vehicle has been arrested. Police have not ruled out impairment or speed as factors. The man found guilty of manslaughter in the death of an off-duty officer in Nelson has been sentenced to five years in prison. Abbotsford Constable Alan Young was hit in the head with a skateboard on July 2020 after approaching an intoxicated man who was causing a disturbance. Young was critically injured and died several days after the altercation. In January, Alex Wilness was sentenced to five years with credit for time served. Abbotsford police say the sentencing is a long time coming, calling Young's death senseless and unnecessary. Charges have been stayed against the accused in what police called a racially motivated bear spray attack on an elderly man in Chinatown in 2022. Our Kristen Robinson spoke with the accused, who says after years of battling alcohol, he's trying to get his life back on track. I am not that person. An assault with a weapon charge against Patrick Duncan dropped ahead of what would have been day one of his trial in connection with an alleged unprovoked attack on an 87-year-old man in Chinatown, police say was racially motivated. What happened there was not what it seemed to be what they were saying it was. Duncan says he's recovering from a serious collision last year and can't remember the alleged bear spray attack in May 2022 that left the elderly Asian victim running for cover during his morning walk along Pender Street. For no reason, he was pepper sprayed. Uh, a number of offensive uh, hate, anti-Asian hate comments were made against him. What happened? I don't know because that was not something I do. I'm not uh, a racist in any way. I have friends of all nations. The alleged victim's daughter says they spoke with Crown Counsel and in what she describes as a very zen and forgiving move, her father elected not to pursue trial and let the suspect be. I believe that um, in karma and, you know, I did do what I would accuse him. I have nothing in my, my entire life that comes anywhere and, and, and to a hate slime or anything right whatsoever. Duncan admits he's shoplifted and has several theft convictions, but denies he was involved in a hate crime. On Monday, he pleaded guilty to what he says will be his final breach of probation. I felt to move friends to Kiwi Streets. I'm done with the court time. We'll never step foot here again. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Yet another shooting in Coquitlam to tell you about. This one sending two people to hospital. And as Janet Brown reports, it's the latest in a troubling string of shootings within just a few city blocks. A large portion of this parking lot adjacent to the Cactus Club Cafe near the Barnett Highway and Pine Tree in Coquitlam is taped off as the RCMP examine the scene. Coquitlam RCMP say just before midnight there was a shooting here. A man and woman suffering from gunshot wounds were found inside a vehicle. Everything is going AWOL. We're from Europe so we don't have guns so it does kind of terrify me. It can be really... Uh uh, unnerving and frustrating, cause a lot of angst. Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart says he knows the community is feeling uneasy. The residents get uh, understandably concerned when we see that kind of uh, conflict spilling over onto the rest of our amenities, our community. 
Including this latest incident, there have been six shootings in Coquitlam since the fall. September 22nd at Pine Tree and Glen, Constable Rick O'Brien was shot and killed while serving a search warrant on a condo. Two other officers were injured. November 10th, two people were injured in a shooting at 1140 Johnson Street. Last month, three shootings in three days. January 4th at Glen and Johnson. The next day at David and Mitchell. No one was injured in those two. And the third on January 6th at Westwood and Glen that left a 21-year-old man dead. If they want to shoot themselves out in some side street, fine. But around the Cactus Club where there's families, and I mean, it's just terrible. You know, uh, it's, uh, it's really sad. It's really sad. The RCMP weren't available for an interview, but despite the shootings, the mayor says Coquitlam is safe. Crime statistics show that our community is extremely safe. Coquitlam RCMP is asking any witnesses or anyone who may have dash cam, surveillance or cell phone video between 10.30 on February 11th and 12.30 a.m. on the 12th to give them a call. Janet Brown, Global News. A fight is brewing in the city of Richmond over the proposed opening of a supervised consumption site on the grounds of the city's hospital. Grace Key is live at Richmond City Hall right now where the proposal is on the agenda at a council meeting tonight and dozens of people have signed up to speak. Grace, this has been very contentious. Yeah, dozens of people signed up to speak and hundreds more have gathered all around me here for a rally just at Richmond City Hall in front of this council meeting tonight. They are certainly furious. A lot of here people here showing up with their families, carrying signs earlier. The crowd here was chanting, no drugs, no drugs. They're all, many of them here, opposed to this proposal. A possible supervised consumption site in Richmond Hospital is causing concern with some residents. An online petition opposing the facility has more than 17,000 signatures. The Richmond mayor says there's been some misinformation on the issue. It is not a resolution to open a safe injection site. It's a safe consumption site and it's to start the conversation with Vancouver Coastal Health. Ultimately, the decision as to whether they go forward with the concept will be theirs. Sheldon Starrett opposes the idea after living near a temporary modular housing complex with a supervised consumption space for residents. He's seen an increase in drug use, break-ins and thefts. We have some concerns that if the city cannot mitigate the impacts of the modular home, we, we have questions about whether they could mitigate some of the negative impacts of, uh, of, the, inject of the consumption site, uh, as we've seen with uh, a number of the consumption sites just in the downtown east side. The BC Coroner's Service says 26 people died last year in Richmond due to toxic drugs. The supervised consumption site would provide a safe space for people to administer their own drugs with access to treatment and recovery services. City Councillor Kashid helped introduce the motion. He says there's been increased complaints on drug use in public spaces. Not only will it lessen the trauma to the people that are experiencing and witnessing it and whether their children or their families are seeing these people consume their drugs in public, it'll absolutely reduce the expensive, uh, expenses associated to the taxpayers here in Richmond because we don't have our emergency services, our police, our fire and ambulance having to respond to it. At the same time, we are going to get families back together. 
Now, at last check, that online petition has more than 18,000 signatures right now. There are also 84 registered speakers for tonight's meeting, so it is very likely that this is going to continue on till tomorrow before it finally comes to a vote. The crowd here, of course, as you can see, rallied up. They are continuing to chant, no more drugs, no more drugs. Back to you. Pretty fired up indeed. Okay, thanks very much, Grace. That's Grace Key reporting in Richmond. And just a little context here. There are 52 official supervised consumption sites operating right now in 30 communities around the province. The sites are all managed by their regional health authorities in cooperation with local community partners. And along with the medical supervision of drug use, they also offer counseling and referrals for substance use and mental health supports. Surrey is cracking down on builders who ignore the permitting process, launching a special team to investigate complaints, stopping a number of jobs and even taking some owners to court. As Aaron MacArthur reports, there can be harsh consequences for circumventing the process. From the front, a beautiful family home. Out back though, an extension that looms over the neighboring fence. A laneway home with crooked siding and no setbacks. According to the city of Surrey, all of this extra work done without a permit. One of a handful of properties where the courts have gotten involved. Owners on top of hefty fines ordered to demolish what's been done. We'll identify uh, what we call egregious um, examples where um, there are life safety issues or you know, significant breaches of our bylaw. Those are the ones that we'll concentrate on. The owner not available to answer questions. But this is hardly the only home in Surrey that has flouted bylaws and the building code. A nearby home had an extension added to put in additional rental suites. The owner forced to pay thousands in fines. Neighbors say the addition was supposed to be torn down a month ago, but nothing has been done. The city making a coordinated effort to find these types of illegal builds and bring them into compliance. The building code is there for a reason, to make sure people can get out in the event of a fire, make sure that houses are built in such a way that if you purchase the house from uh, somebody, you're, you're confident that it's uh, built safely and built well, so that uh, you have some confidence in, in being able to live there safely. Across Surrey and every other municipality, work is being done without permits, off the books, with payments made under the table. Everything from homeowners trying to save a buck to unscrupulous contractors taking advantage of the rental crisis. Greater Vancouver home builders say it is an epidemic. Builders getting calls monthly to fix work that has already been done. We often have to take things apart in order to fix, make them even to minimum standards and then put them back together again. The courts ruled in October the owner here has 60 days to begin the removal of the illegal structures. The city says it has further legal tools at its disposal to ensure the owner does what the courts require. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Travel disaster on a dream vacation to Maui. They're paying out of pocket for extra nights in Hawaii after WestJet canceled their flight home. And despite the air passengers' bill of rights, they say the airline has only offered a $15 food comp uh, coupon as compensation. Stranded in paradise, next on the News Hour. Pieces of history. Why this bungalow with a connection to a BC billionaire 
is being delicately dismantled. Plus. How Vancouver is going to get a taste of that Super Bowl halftime show later on as well. Right now, though, a Kelowna couple say they are out thousands of dollars after WestJet canceled their flight home from Hawaii with little warning. They've been forced to pay out of pocket for accommodation until they can get a flight home. And as Kylie Stanton tells us, their story is not uncommon. So this is our bedroom for the next two nights. During peak season in Maui, nearly $500 U.S. doesn't get you very far. Little fridge. But Robert McDonald and his wife had little choice. I wasn't going to sleep at the airport. Here's Maui. On Sunday, the couple was packing up to head back to Canada when they received a text notifying them their WestJet flight had been cancelled. Simply saying there was an unforeseen maintenance issue with the airplane. And so they decided to go to the airport anyway, expecting alternate plans to be in place, only to be told by the WestJet agent they would have to wait for an email. But hours came and went, and so did the airline staff. When everybody left, you just feel like, okay, like, this is, this is it? This story exposes a systemic problem. This is not a one-off case. According to air passenger protection regulations, under these circumstances, the airline must rebook passengers for the next available flight within its own network or within nine hours of the departure time that is indicated on the original ticket. Failing that, it must buy the passenger a ticket on any carrier that departs within 48 hours. But McDonald says those options were never offered. Where's your uh, is breaking the law. They are blatantly admitting to break the law. And we do have all the recordings of passengers being refused rebooking on competitors on international flights. I'm unable to do interline stuff. Okay. I can only deal with WestJet coming out of and here. And he told me that he's like, that's not how it works. And I'm like, but like, okay, but it's it a is. law. And that brings us to the question, where is the enforcement? In a statement, WestJet apologized, saying our guest support team will be reaching out directly to Mr. McDonald to assist in the event he requires additional support. It's kind of sad that if you have to go to the major media of the country to get reaction from the airline. McDonald is now booked on a WestJet flight to Vancouver Tuesday afternoon, now estimating he's out at least $2,000 and counting. I just hope WestJet will look at this and say we've got to do better. Kelly Stanton, Global News. The Liberal government has a scandal on its hands with a blistering report from Canada's Auditor General over the bungled development of the ArriveCan app. That app was supposed to help manage travellers to and from Canada during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mackenzie Gray has more on the scathing details. The controversial ArriveCan app got a failing grade from the Auditor General. This is probably some of the worst financial record keeping that I've seen. Karen Hogan could only guess how much it cost because nearly 20% of the invoices to the Canada Border Services Agency didn't have enough information. Her best estimate for the total, $59.5 million, most of which went to outside companies at a hefty premium. Hogan estimating each outside consultant cost nearly $1,100 a day, while federal public servants would have cost $675. This audit shows a glaring disregard for basic management and contracting practices throughout ArriveCAN's development and implementation. 
Much of that money going to GC Strategies, a two-person consulting firm that got millions in work through a non-competitive process, then subcontracted out what needed to be done to third parties. Under no circumstance would we pretend that because the whole world was facing this global pandemic, that the contracting rules that need to be robust to handle taxpayers' money can somehow be disregarded. We're not saying that at all. Despite the high price tag, the app didn't work very well. Hogan's office found that a June 2022 update incorrectly forced over 10,000 travellers who'd shown proper vaccination status to quarantine when they didn't need to. The very same department that is responsible for our borders and our ports took $60 million or more for the arrive scam. Two senior public servants have been suspended without pay for their involvement with the app, and an investigator from CBSA told a parliamentary committee last week they found evidence of misconduct with public servants who worked on ArriveCan, but so far, there have been no criminal charges. Mackenzie Gray, Global News, Ottawa. Just ahead, another warning about selling things through social media. A man steps forward crediting a global news report for helping him foil a potential fraud. Plus, the surprise that had this customer taking a sharp U-turn when she showed up to buy her dream car. Well, you might recall the story about a Vancouver man who fell victim to a bank draft scam where he lost thousands of dollars, and he is not the only potential victim. But it turns out that report helped prevent another man from falling victim to what could have been the very same scam. With more, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And Thanks, Sophie. Alan Gonzalez moved here from Mexico just a few weeks ago. He says in Mexico they don't use bank drafts because they are considered outdated and not very secure. So when he did an online search about bank draft fraud, our recent Consumer Matters story popped up, and Alan says that changed everything. Alan Gonzalez says he was thinking about selling a luxury watch on Facebook Marketplace. Once he uploaded his watch, he says he was contacted by an interested buyer. One guy gave me a, I th- what I thought uh, a good price for it. Alan says the buyer offered to pay with a bank draft. He says he was skeptical, so he says he decided to do some research online. I googled bank draft fraud, uh, Vancouver, so I saw a new, uh, your story about uh, about these things that were happening. It was a Consumer Matters story about a recent bank draft fraud case involving Vancouver resident Mark Milburn, who had sold a $10,000 watch on Facebook Marketplace. The buyer paying with a bank draft. But before Mark released the watch, he says he went in person to his bank, RBC, to make sure the draft was valid. He says the RBC bank teller told him... You have nothing to worry about, looks great. Legitimately felt total confidence in just the bank draft itself. She then goes, would you like to clear the funds? I hadn't asked for it, she'd offered. I said, sure, that's great. She then takes it and talks to the manager. The manager clears the funds in that moment, no questions asked. Mark ended up selling the watch to the buyer, but four days later, Mark discovered he was on the hook for $10,000. The bank draft was fraudulent. RBC says it won't comment further on Mark's case due to client privacy. Alan banks with TD and says he met this man, the buyer, outside this downtown branch. Alan was handed this bank draft issued by Scotiabank for over $10,000. So it looked very legitimate at first. 
yes, the numbers are good. But prior to meeting the buyer, Allen was cautious and alerted TD staff the potential for a bank draft fraud. Allen says with the buyer by his side, Allen approached the TD teller to verify the draft. The teller tried to verify the bank draft. He tried to call the Scotia Bank. Uh, Scotia Bank, well, I think they, they were closed or something. Allen says TD warned him he would be responsible if the draft turned out to be a fake. So he left. That's when he says Vancouver police moved in and detained the buyer. Consumer Matters confirming the bank draft was indeed fraudulent. Vancouver police say the case remains under investigation and no charges have been laid. The potential suspect released pending further information. The recent events, a lesson for Allen about avoiding bank drafts in the future. And as for Mark Milburn, he has told Consumer Matters he can no longer communicate with us about his case. As we just heard, RBC said it couldn't share information due to client privacy, only to say it is continuing to communicate with their client directly to resolve their concerns. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks very much, Anne. Good work. In the market for a new car, keep in mind the quote you get might not reflect the actual price of the vehicle. That's right. Some dealerships will tack on certain packages at an extra cost. And as Tomasia De Silva reports, Global News found out they tried to convince one customer the add-ons were mandatory. She was pretty excited about it. License in hand, Kaylee Gray set out on her first car buying experience. But that fun day quickly took a U-turn. It actually turned out to be quite the nightmare. Dad Jason was along for that ride. Armed with research, they visited several dealerships, including Crowfoot Hyundai in North Calgary. The quote for a 2024 Hyundai Elantra luxury, just under 33K, including admin fees of $799. And since Alberta gets winter, a winter group package was added. $4,000 for items like winter tires, a block heater and nitrogen. But the extras didn't end there. Another grant was tacked on for a safeguard package. Add on the taxes and final cash price, 39766 Extremely frustrating. 7K extra, not what Gray expected. Not for options he says he was told were not options at all. I was required to pay it if I wanted the vehicle itself. They're telling me it was mandatory company policy that they have to charge that. Crowfoot Hyundai didn't respond to Global's requests, but did send Gray an email stating the winter package was never mandatory, only the safeguard was. Why I have to pay it. Reversing what he says he was told repeatedly, pointing to a recording with sales staff as proof. I can't decline them. Yeah. So it just comes part as a package of it. Why is it mandatory? So this is a store policy by Auto Canada. Auto Canada, which owns Crowfoot Hyundai, wouldn't comment on Gray's case, only saying Auto Canada takes its responsibility to conduct business in compliance with all applicable laws seriously. We have strict policies in place regarding this. As for Hyundai Canada, it says dealerships are independent businesses that ultimately decide on the final price. Crowfoot Hyundai did eventually drop the price, but not enough for the Grays. She was expecting to come out of there with a vehicle that day. Kaylee did eventually drive away with a vehicle from another dealership, just not her dream ride. Tomasio Da Silva, Global News. Coming up, aging with dignity. 
We have an aging population, but we have to rise and meet that challenge. The big announcement to help you live well as you live longer. Also tonight, how Usher plans to make it a November to remember for his fans in Vancouver. I'm Jay Durant from Global News, inviting you to the Lataco Cornell 2024 BC Winter Games, a celebration of sport and community, February 22nd to the 25th. Competitions are free to watch. Visit bcgames.org. Improving health care for BC's aging population, the goal of another major health care deal between the province and the federal government. More than $700 million will help expand and improve long-term and community care. Richard Zussman shows us what the Aging with Dignity commitment really means. It's the double-edged sword of aging. British Columbians living longer, meaning a greater and longer need for services. We do have one of the best health systems in the world, uh, but like all health systems uh, out there, uh, the pandemic placed it under severe stress. BC and Ottawa signing the first Aging with Dignity deal in the country. $733 million coming to the province over the next five years. Money for expanded home and community care, accessing palliative and end-of-life services, and improving the quality of long-term care. A response to what's been called the silver tsunami. And we're going to see a continued dramatic across-the-board increase in the number of seniors uh, in BC. Now see a senior's population which is larger than uh, the population of youth and children in BC. The money comes with strings attached. The province responsible for tracking health outcomes and sharing the data publicly, enabling people to compare how BC stacks up against other provinces. We don't have enough measures in terms of the success that we have in British Columbia and where we need to improve. An aging baby boomer population putting added pressure on the healthcare system overall, especially with the goal of keeping people at home as long as possible. Most of us want to age in place in our community, surrounded by family and friends in the neighbourhoods that we know. And what this money will do is it will help people get more home support and get things like virtual care and get respite care. There is also money coming for long-term care, but not enough to keep up with the growing demand. In hospitals right across British Columbia, we have elderly British Columbians who are in a hospital because there is no place for them to go that is appropriate for their level of care. And as the number of seniors grows at a rate never seen before, the province is just hoping there's more money like this around the corner. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Coming up, a billionaire's humble home gets a second life. There's about uh, 20,000 pounds of lumber that we'll be um, salvaging. A house once owned by Jimmy Pattison, taken apart piece by piece. Why the wood is so valuable. And later in sports, after that epic win by Nick Taylor, how his BC buddy played it cool during the celebration. I heard rumors there was sunshine today. I heard rumors, yeah. Didn't the, get to go outside and experience it. I didn't experience it, but it, it sure looked nice, Christy. It, it does, but it's so funny you guys bring that up because I've got this photo behind you and you're probably wondering, why is she showing that photo? It was, it was unbelievable. I didn't have any photos of the sunshine today. No one sent me any wow. photos. It was so weird. Maybe everyone was just sort of working like you two were. So I thought I would just start off with a photo from yesterday. This was in the Okanagan where they had a ton of snow. We had snowfall warnings. We had some good snow in the local mountains as well. And one of the reasons why I wanted to show you this is that we did get some good snow 
on the South Coast Mountains. So make sure you support your local mountain because they need it right now. Big White had a ton of snow over the last 24 hours, just as an example. All right. Oh, and this is kind of feeling like a little bit like we had our second uh, winter. We had an early January, then it disappeared for a bit. And this is sort of winter part two. Now, though, this is clearing out and that's the sunshine that we saw today. Temperatures tonight are going to drop, but not for all areas. So these are the overnight lows. Most areas going to drop down near the freezing mark or below. Metro Vancouver, likely not. We're expecting a low of two degrees, and that's because we're actually going to see a little bit of cloud development tonight. So you'll see cloudy skies tomorrow morning, but then it will clear out. I'm pushing things forward just into Thursday because this is what I wanted to highlight. So we've got two days of sunshine on the way, but Thursday still days away. Tune back in. This is a heads up. We have the possibility of some snow even for the south coast area. So tune back in over the next little while. In the meantime, enjoy the sunshine, everyone. We are expecting a little bit of fog or low-level cloud through the early part of the day, but generally most areas should be enjoying sunshine. So highs will be near seasonal for this time of year, but the overnight lows will be below seasonal. So 7 degrees is our daytime high. It will be cooler in the morning on Wednesday with a low of 0 degrees. There's that chance of flurries. We'll have more details on that as we get a little bit closer in tonight's central windows weather window. Of course, the snowfall from yesterday because we didn't have any sunshine or any photos of the sunshine today. Thanks for to Wilf for that in mm. Vernon. What a great shot. Summer seems a long way off in that photo, but it isn't. <laughs> Don't worry, Wilf. It isn't. I read somewhere that in 30 days, sunset will be after 7 o'clock finally. Oh, is that right? Good. Yeah, I don't know if it's true. News hour Stonehenge. <laughs> Here's hoping. <laughs> yeah. uh, fresh off the back of his Super Bowl halftime show, Usher has announced he's extending his tour with a stop here in Vancouver. Someone get that guy a towel. The R&B star working hard. And now he'll be heading out on a 51-day tour called Usher, Past, Present, and Future. If his halftime show is any indication, it'll be full of throwback classics from his Grammy Award-winning career and some pretty impressive dance moves as well. Usher will be coming to Rogers Arena November 7th. Mark it on your calendars. Tickets go on general sale on Friday. The, the roller, roller skating was... I didn't have that on my Super Bowl halftime show yeah, bingo card. It's unexpected. Mm-hmm. Luckily, as far as we know, there weren't any mishaps with the roller skates. That's right. Squire. That <laughs> kind of reminded me of the Stardust roller rinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, remember that? They were pretty good. He's actually pretty good with the roller skates. He looked all right. Yes. Yeah. Although I didn't see much of it. That's usually my cue to go make a sandwich as halftime. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to get on that. Um, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor likes to win golf tournaments in the most dramatic way possible. Yeah, that putt wasn't as long as the Canadian Open winning putt, but it did win the Phoenix Open yesterday in front of a lot of snowbird Canadians. Looks good. Also tonight, salvaging history. As you're deconstructing the house, you're starting to find real great jewels. Deconstructing the former home of billionaire Jimmy Patterson and some of the treasures they're finding inside. Day for sports fans yesterday, Squire. 
Yes, you didn't have to leave the couch. Mm -hmm. You could start at 10 in the morning with the Canucks and go all the way to about 6.30 or 7 with the Super Bowl. And everything went to overtime yesterday. The Canucks won in overtime. The Chiefs won in overtime. And so did Abbotsford's Nick Taylor. He won the Phoenix Open on the second playoff hole. Of course, he won the Canadian Open with extra holes as well. And like the Canadian Open, there were a lot of Canadians around the 18th green to celebrate. Some even sang O Canada after Taylor made the winning putt. A shorter putt than his Canadian Open winning putt, to be sure. But he was getting that same sort of hometown feeling like when the Maple Leafs play at Rogers Arena. Yeah, it, you know, reminisce of the Cane Open a little bit. It's uh, a lot of snowbirds down here. A lot of people come down to this tournament that I know even on the West Coast and all over Canada. So the support was incredible. A little rivalry, feel like a USA chance and go Canada. It was, it was pretty fun to be around. So it was, it was, it was fun all week. Okay, remember last year when Nick Taylor won the Canadian Open? And as you can see in the picture beside me, his Abbotsford buddy Adam Hadwin ran onto the green to celebrate, only to be tackled by security. Yesterday, Hadwin was once again standing at greenside with Taylor's family, wearing the same green hoodie, cheering Taylor on. But this time, when he made the winning putt, Adam Hadwin was a lot more careful. Adam, no, no plans to run on the green right now? No, not this time. I learned my lesson. All right, Nikita Zadorov on suspension and Carson Soucy placed on injury reserve. The Canucks have recalled defenseman Jet Wu from Abbotsford, who will join the team in Chicago. If the Canucks decide to play him against the Blackhawks tomorrow, that would be the first ever game for him in the NHL. And he has shown a lot of improvement in Abbotsford this year. Well, the Vancouver Whitecaps, it's safe to say, actually surprised themselves in game one of their two-game total goal series with Tigris of Mexico in the Champions Cup. They finished in a one-all draw last week in Langford, and because they did so, Vancouver will put out a lineup that has a chance to win in game two, rather than resting their main guys, which I'm thinking they would have done had they lost game one. In their final training session at home before heading down to Monterey, Mexico, the Vancouver Whitecaps spent a good chunk of their training session locking down their play in the final third of the pitch, specifically applying that clinical finish. What do you need to see in Mexico? Well, I need to see, first of all, the same thing that we saw in Victoria in terms of uh, building up. So all those rotations that we did, all those movements to create space to go there. The other thing I need to see even more, I would say, sticking to the plan, I want to say, on the box. Uh, and uh, sometimes we get uh, a little bit, uh, I don't know, excited and we want to do, uh, everyone wants to score when, well, you know, you, you, don't, you only need a player to score, so that everyone needs to do what is uh, supposed to do on the box. And, uh, and we just need to keep creating chances. This moment for Krylock! Opening the scoring in his Vancouver Whitecaps account! The Caps had a strong showing going toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of Mexico's top sides in the opening match of their two-game series. Replicating that effort in Mexico is going to be a tall task, but it starts with scoring at least one huge away goal because the Caps are basically playing with house money after drawing Tigres one-all last week. 
we're four weeks or five weeks since the since the start of training. Um, so to expect us to be on top form, you know, with the final pass and and being sharp um, in front of goals, it's a big ask. But that's something that will will come with time. And I think, um, you know, the fact that we're there, we're creating the chances, we're in good positions. I think it's a, a really positive thought at this stage. We try to be to dictate the pace. Scoring a goal would be huge because scoring a goal it means that at least with 1-1 we go to tie and they need to score two goals. Scoring two goals would be enormous because they would have to score three goals against us. So I think that uh, it doesn't it doesn't, first of all, it doesn't suit our game model to be very, very low and try to just counter-attack. But uh, it will, uh, we will try to, to be as aggressive as we can, of course, with intelligence, to try to be as offensive as we can. Yesterday's Super Bowl, where the Chiefs went from yelling at each other to winning in overtime against the 49ers, which, of course, made the Taylor Swift private suite extremely happy was also the most watched Super Bowl in Canadian TV history. The average was 10 million. At one point, 19 million were tuning in, which I think is about roughly half of our population. Oh, and the fact the game went to overtime, a lot of sports books had a prop bet nine to one if the game goes to overtime. Apparently, Caesars Palace on that prop bet lost over a million dollars. Oh, they can afford it. I'm sure they can. That's not big money for them. They'll just raise Don't the change. price of the buffet a little bit. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. True. Thanks, Squire. Breaking down a billionaire's former home, how pieces of Jimmy Pattison's past will have a new future next. All right, Jordan Armstrong joins us now from our newsroom with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan, including what could be the deal of the century. Yes, indeed. We'll get to that in just a moment, Chris. At 11, we will also have an update on that proposed safe consumption site in Richmond. It could be a late meeting. There are now more than 100 people signed up to speak. And here's what Chris was alluding to. It comes with a stunning view of Lost Lagoon and the North Shore Mountains, a one-bedroom condo for sale in Vancouver's West End for under $300,000. Of course, there's a catch. Here's a hint. Everything else, including the walls, will cost you more. We'll show you why at 11. Chris. That's a good one. Thanks very much, Jordan. And a fitting segue into our next story. A little yellow house on West Vancouver's waterfront that was once the home of B.C. billionaire Jimmy Pattison is a good example of urban mining. That's right. There is gold in the old bones of that home. So instead of demolishing it and sending it to the landfill, Paul Johnson shows us how the house is being sustainably deconstructed. The stories these walls could tell. So the old saying goes. But for this wood, the story isn't over. What we're doing with the home is we're deconstructing it in panels. We're with Eric Serpas Ventura of Vima Deconstruction, which is pretty much what it sounds like where an old house like this would typically be demolished and trucked to a landfill. Vima will dismantle, reclaim, and recycle much of the wood. And as you can see, this beautiful joist 
um, are still in good condition, no rot, um, and beautiful old growth lumber in this, which is a lot more solid, more dense than now the material that's used nowadays. Once the wood is hauled away and all the nails are removed, its density and beauty make it useful for lots of things. Great for furniture making, uh, great for flooring, uh, anything you can imagine for designs for the facade of the building. But this project will be known for more than just its reclaimed old growth. For decades, the house on West Vancouver's waterfront was owned by Jim Pattison. And as legend has it, in 1961, it was the collateral for the loan that got Pattison started in business. Years later, the old yellow house is still proving its value. We found really good uh, cedar in there that's got really high value. Um, beautiful beams that have been milled in the 1920s. Serpus Ventura says the sale of the wood from the former Patterson home will benefit Habitat for Humanity. Going forward, he says only a fraction of the region's teardowns are currently being recycled. He'd like to see that change. As you're deconstructing the house, you're starting to find real great jewels available. In West Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. Oh, mm. I'd like to get my hands on some of that wood. Mm -hmm. It would be very cool. Okay, uh, last word on weather, Christy. Sure, so we'll see a little bit of cloud cover tomorrow, but lots of sunshine for the next two days. A heads up about Thursday. Tune in. We do have a little chance of snow at this point, so make sure you check it out. And quickly, yes, lots of people sending us photos of the sunshine today. Thanks to Adam for this one. Nice. Beautiful. Okay, thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Night, all. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh, my God, the ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.